welcome to Thanks for the Memories. You've got a friend in us. This is episode 28, Saving Private Ryan, from 1998. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski, and with us today we have our own private, Dan the Duke Hayden. Hello, Dan. Hey, how's it going, guys? Thank you so much for joining us. We have found you. We have saved you after all, brought you back here. You know, we were joking before we started recording that you are basically our year 2000 action expert, and it's not quite 2000, but, you know, this is sort of right in that vein of the movies that you and I and Mike have talked about once or twice on pretty much every podcast that we've done. This is 99, correct? 98. It competed in the 99 uh, Academy Awards, now that everybody's got Oscar fever, now that as we're recording, nominations came out today, and as you're listening to this, the Oscars will be in about a month or so, so everybody's got Oscar fever, so this competed in 99, but it came out sometime in 98. Gotcha. Okay. So this is a movie that was nominated for Best Picture, it won Best Director, it was nominated for Best Actor, won a whole bunch of awards, I so will go through those later, but Mike, in case people do not know what this movie is about, and I think it's, for, for a th- nearly three-hour runtime, pretty simple straightforward story could you please give us a plot summary of what saving private ryan is all about and i'm never prepared for this i always forget so this is kind of off the cuff but i think i got this one's an easy one yeah most of them are i've been finding surprisingly uh the core of these are pretty simple simplistic not mission impossible 3 listen back last week i uh (laughs) stumbled through that real poorly okay so this movie starts at d-day and tom hanks is uh commander of a platoon of men who survived the beach at normandy and then they are asked to go and save Private Ryan because this is a a soldier who has three other brothers that have all died in battle and his mother is getting notice of this all on the same day and so Private Ryan has a free ride home you know to spare his his family any more grief and sorrow and all that and and therefore Tom Hanks grabs his uh, you know group of merry men and off they go and trot across German infested France and along the way there's uh, lots of brotherhood and patriotism and battles like great great set pieces and lots of uh, lots of actors pop up in here and little cameos that keeps it lively it is a pretty long run time but eventually they do find Private Ryan in the guise of none other than Jason Bourne himself Matt Damon and uh, he he does not want to go he wants to stand with the brothers he has left the ones he has made on the battlefield and uh, with Tom Hanks's platoon and his own that he has sort of embedded with um they hold the bridge in a very important uh strategic location in france and hold off the nazi panzer division until the reinforcements come and unfortunately if i'm not mistaking all of tom hanks's platoon except for i think uh ed burns two people survive okay so like two people survive of eight yep Mm mm-hmm Hanks himself passes away, and he asks Private Ryan to earn it, uh, and then we sort of flash forward and wrap around in maybe the best ways. This is like the best version yes. of a wraparound. Yes. We wrap mm-hmm. around to old Private Ryan at the grave of uh, Tom Hanks amongst all the other uh, fallen soldiers. Yeah, and, and that's that's how it ends there. So that is Saving Private Ryan. It sure is. It sure is. You have two of eight survive. We have Jeremy Davies, who I, you know, I, he's been in everything. I mean, he's most recently, he's played Charles Manson, I think, in things. I think he's probably played Jesus in things. I know him from Lost. Yes. Uh, he survives and Ed Burns survives. They're the only two of, of Hanks' platoon that survive, which uh, brutal, brutal, brutal. This is a brutal movie uh, from start to finish, pretty much. Difficult to watch, you know, like you were saying before, I don't want to steal your your words duke but you were saying it's it's tough to watch in good ways yeah i mean we'll get more into it as we we go through but to start the movie off i mean they did have the very quick scene of the old man uh, approaching the grave sites of normandy um and seeing all of the the thousands and thousands of um uh, hedgestones and then to jump directly into like possibly one of the most brutal war sequences ever made in film of the Battle of D-Day. It is very difficult to watch. I mean, I think that was kind of the point that Spielberg was trying to make. He didn't want to water it down. He wanted people, I mean, generations that obviously didn't experience the war to understand just the absolute ferocious brutality that it was to be on that beach. Yeah, he puts you on the beach. I have not seen this movie since theaters all the way through. I, I, you know, sat down and watched, you know, 20, 40 minutes at a time from here and there over the years and stuff. But like, I had not remembered just like how embedded we are as an audience, like, because we're in the boat, you know, and like when that boat opens, like, 
the shots come and it's just shocking and it's kind of like a different side of Spielberg to me like I almost was like I'm almost in awe because I wasn't even aware he was sort of capable of this kind of violence and brutality and and stuff but it's sort of it's for a point it's not it's not gratuitous or senseless or anything like that either so that makes sense but I am also in awe uh, when this movie opens I think the opening I think the storming the beach of Normandy is like a 25 minute sequence and I think the ending against the Panzer division is another 25 minute sequence so this is bookended with these like stunning devastating breathtaking sequences of action that are just impeccable and in between there's also action but I feel like this movie what it does really well is it balances the the brutality the war of it all with the humanity with the empathy with the pathos of it all and I think it's the combination of the two that really makes this one of the best movies the last 25-ish years right like it just does so many things so well and it's you know like you were saying Mike it's filled with so many guys who are like oh I can't believe that guy's in this movie everything it just kind of checks all these boxes and it just works so beautifully and so well yeah the characters themselves i mean yes there are a couple of like strange little cameos that really you know the characters don't interact with each other that much i mean they're so far removed some of these people are back home in the states whereas the other you know the the soldiers are, are in france but the character interactions the brotherhood the bullshitting the the friendly banter the 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 moments where they try to achieve some levity surrounded by like all of this just war and hell is it's well paced, I kind of feel. I feel like, what is there, like altogether four, maybe five battle scenes in the whole movie? Yeah, I think so. Something like that. And, and that's something I was kind of worried about, too, is like, what what is going to, what keeps this movie together between the war of it, right? And and I don't necessarily feel like I really get to know these guys too much. Like, some of them, like, you know, feel a little bit like characters, you know, like Vin Diesel's character, I feel, or, or maybe even the medic. And, and that's the way I feel. I, like, I start referring to him as the sniper, the medic, you know, like that guy and things. And But, but like, what's interesting is, like, I didn't really need that in the movie because when they do sit and settle and have some quiet moments, they're, they're talking about ideals, you know? Like, they're not necessarily talking so much about, like, their own beliefs but Spielberg is trying to get through like the beliefs of why we're there and the, you know what I'm saying like it's almost like a conduit these aren't necessarily I feel like entirely authentic conversations they might be having in the field but in other ways like just hit, uh, the filmmaker being able to convey themes and points and I think that is pretty smart and very hard to do say what you really mean through the characters even if it's not exactly the character's moment to say something like that and somehow it's just it's Spielberg's sort of masterism of film language is like letting him get away with whatever he wants in this movie and it's working for me and i think there's an interesting thing that in a movie like this mike you know a, a lot of the types of movies that i think we have covered for these podcasts that we've done you would imagine that there'd be like all this trivia and i'm sure that there is it just might not be what i've seen but there'd be all this trivia about like this guy was almost cast that guy was almost cast like you know in the role of a medic in the role of the sniper whoever but it feels like you know in the almost 200 bits of trivia it feels like there's very few examples of that and i think that what you're you're saying is right he's able to get so much of these actors like it almost feels like these are the actors that are meant for it and it almost feels like they're all meant to be kind of unknowns like this was before vin diesel was vin diesel this was supposed to be before matt damon was matt damon but then he had to go and win an academy award and become like an international superstar he was supposed to be this unknown guy who just you know showed up it's it's nathan fillion i was like holy shit like nathan fillion like what i think that there's a testament to the casting and to the acting and to the directing here that it doesn't feel like there were a lot of like it was almost this guy it was almost that guy it was almost this it was almost that it just feels like this is like the group of guys and almost like you know just like you're in war you know in a way and i don't mean to compare movie making to war but like this is your troop this is your band of brothers like what are you going to do with them and you're going to get the most of them and i think that whether they went through like crazy casting or not and they just didn't report on it in the imdb trivia i think there's like a there's a beauty here to working with what you have and getting the performances and getting the you know camaraderie that you get from all these actors working together yeah the only one i remember knowing for real at the time was tom sizemore who i think is amazing in this movie but again like i watch it and i'm like okay i bring so much of him with me into the movie and i feel like that now with guys like adam goldberg and barry pepper and stuff it's like coming back to this movie so much later like i know their works and things and and it, it it's great how spielberg just tapped into their like it's almost like they're playing themselves and i feel like that's very difficult for a director to direct someone to do because you feel like they always want to play a character or something but like this to me feels like hey this is like tom hanks if tom hanks was in war you know what i'm saying like this this is like ed burns if ed burns was in war it's like that kind of situation for me maybe not vin diesel he might be throwing it on a little thick but i don't know (laughs) otherwise like that's just sort of the vibe i get and i love that sort of like natural part of it 
I think really the best of all of those is Ted Danson is playing Ted Danson. Yeah, right. Because it's like there were guys like Ted Danson that had to get that were drafted and just thrown to war. One of the things I liked about Ted Danson's character is, I don't know, I've been watching a lot of The Good Place lately. So like really, really been enjoying Ted. And I completely forgot that he was in this movie. He's like the one person that sends some form of encouragement to the mission that they're doing. He's like the one person that's just like, oh yeah, I have some brothers too. I believe in what you guys are doing. Get them home. Whereas everybody else is complaining about how, I mean, you don't see Matt Damon until what, an hour and a half into the movie. And the whole time these guys are just talking about how they don't like him and how he's probably some asshole and like how this is a terrible use of, of their time and their lives. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Now, Dan, if you had to, and I, this might be tough, I don't know if it's going to be tough or easy. If you had to pick a favorite moment or a favorite character or favorite scene or favorite part, whatever, what is your favorite part in Saving Private Ryan? I have two favorite parts for two very different reasons. I love, so after the whole Nouvelle sequence where they go inside the church and there's three or four different parts of it, the beginning part being Tom Hanks and Sizemore talking about this random soldier that, that's gone and had died and that like how he was walking on his, his arms and legs and how Tom Hanks is rationalizing uh, how his soldiers have died, but he did it so that, you know, they he could save others. And then the Gianni Ribisi's uh, monologue about his mother. And then it, they cap, well, no, they didn't cap it. Then there's the, the portion of it where it's Oppum and Tom Hanks talking about Emerson and then about the uh, the wager on Tom Hanks's like the information about or the pool going into somebody getting his information about where he's from and what he did and then it caps it all off with them walking black silhouettes through the night with the explosions in the background yeah. and I just I don't know something about that whole sequence which I don't even remember how long it is just absolutely stunning I don't know why but like in the middle of it I kind of for the first time, I got a little choked up. I don't know. Movies have been have been getting on my emotional heartstrings a lot more lately, and something about that scene just kind of tugged at me a little bit. I think it's designed that way, and it's designed well that way. Like you know, it sort of starts with Tom Hanks stating, you know, I think one of the themes or thesis where he's like, you know, I've lost 96 men under my command, but I'd like to. I hope. I've saved 10 times that or something, right? Like that's, it's like, that's why we're here, right? It's like the greater good kind of thing. And I love that coming out in conversation about this, or what do they say? Something like I give a hundred Ryans for, to have that one kid back or something like they're just saying how wide that kid we like have to get killed. And now we got to go save this guy. We don't even know. And then the stuff like relating Giovanni Ribisi's mother to like the whole sort of overall theme of mothers and war moms and, and that whole thing. And that's why they're going to get Ryan to bring him back. And, and this is, is the only time that they really have this downtime throughout the entire film too it's almost like sequence like one of the battle sequences you know what i'm saying like it really takes its time and it's like let's settle let's do this night talk where they're just like wrapping up and you know real camaraderie type stuff and yeah i just think it's a great sequence just wanted to touch on this very quickly. I decided uh, this movie because I remember it's kind of hard to watch some of this stuff. I'm not like particularly squeamish, but sometimes like war films will kind of get to me. I decided to watch this movie with closed captioning on so I could because I always feel like I'm missing things, especially things that they're saying to each other in the battles and such. And uh, I feel like it kind of helped me understand the scenes a little bit more and watch a little bit more without looking away. And that's why the other scene that I will say is my favorite, even though it's probably one of the hardest scenes to watch is uh, Wade's death scene when Giovanni Ribisi dies. That scene, I don't know why, just I've seen this movie over a dozen times and I just have so much trouble watching that sequence of him trying to like figure out what's because he's the medic and they're they're discussing with him what's going on and what they see and he comes to the realization that he won't be saved and asks for the more morphine. Oh my, just that scene, I actually didn't really know what all the dialogue was in that scene. It was very foreign to me because I've just always been so used to kind of looking away during that sequence and it just gets me me every single time i didn't make a ton of notes while watching this movie because i just wanted to a because i literally just finished it you know like half an hour before we, we we started recording so i knew it was gonna be fresh in my brain but b just because i wanted to take it in but that was one where i wrote down where it's just like 
a medic knowing exactly how he's dying and like knowing how he's been hurt and knowing that there's no recovery because like there's so many people in this movie who die who bleed out who kind of still maybe have the chance of hope that like oh i'm not that bad off or even like at the end when tom sizemore is very clearly not gonna make it but he's just like i got the wind knocked out i mean like you can kind of like fake your way through to a certain extent or just feel like no i'm gonna be okay but when he's like i was shot in the spine i was shot in the liver just like oh like these i know based on my training based on my background i am not going to make it through this it adds an extra layer of just it's heartbreaking to know that he's like i'm gonna be in so much pain just please you know do whatever you can to put me out of my misery like it's it's awful it's awful i'm like shocked almost like every 20 minutes watching this movie because if it's not one of those like close up personal deaths of like you know giovanni urbisi then you get like guys just exploding in front of you on screen and it's just like it gets to a point where i'm like nerve-wracked and i can't kind of take it for a while i never paused it or anything like that but i was definitely getting like anxiety watching this movie you know because because it's just so well constructed like it's it's like um you know it is to a degree like propaganda right like this is a war film and it's sort of designed like the old war films of the 40s where not nationalism but patriotism and it's infectious and 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 when you see what the boys went through and all that kind of shit like it really you the sacrifice and all that like it's there like you know what i'm saying like the it, the point is taken so many times over and spielberg is just relentless about it and and it's just you know i dare say it's it's just great because of the, it's great filmmaking but yes it is it is not easy to watch you can tell that Spielberg has seen every single one of those old Hollywood war movies because this is it to a T with, you know, the the grand overture and the music from John Williams. Yeah, there's something like this in a weird way reminded me of Titanic because they're both that old style of Hollywood filmmaking and they're both these giant 90s epic, you know, American movies by these modern directors. Yes, he's definitely like sort of prying on the, those those types of styles and stuff effortlessly. Now, Mike, was there something about this that you liked more than anything else? I mean, and we're, I think we're all just praising, but this is a Steven Spielberg film, his last of the of the 90s. What would, what about this was your favorite? What did you like about this more than anything else? What what stands out? What's your favorite part of Saving Private Ryan? It's it's tough. I mean, like, I, I love the cinematography of this movie. Like, I had forgotten how many gorgeous silhouette shots there were, how the action is, like, when it gets handheld and frantic, it's still, you could still follow it. It's like one of the easiest to follow shaky cams I've ever experienced in my life and then there's just gorgeous epic shots everywhere he points to camera is just amazing so like I hands down love the look of this movie Academy Award winning cinematography there's also something where it doesn't really it just doesn't remind me of any other Spielberg film in that way where he's like okay like we're not just going to shoot this whole thing on sticks or whole thing handheld like we're going to actually like it's going to depend on the situation of the scene and um, I love how he just like puts us there I don't know that I have like a particular favorite scene but I've got like two little things that pop up that um, that really made me laugh so like when they're on the beach in Normandy he makes the knife mirror which I think was just genius and that, that was like he takes the gum out of one guy's mouth sticks it on his knife and then takes like a mirror that he shaves with like out of his pocket or something or out of his kit and he makes it like a rear view mirror so he could see how many people are, are like around the corner and stuff it's like damn that just like defines his character so simply and so quickly is like how he's able to keep calm under pressure and think on his feet and and craft this right in the middle of a battle and stuff and then um i love uh and i'm not sure if this is where i learned the term but foobar foobar is great that's a great sort of mm-hmm. running joke throughout the entire movie movie jeremy davies finally gets it by the end fucked up beyond all recognition and this movie does a great job of uh, portraying that by all angles but it's hard to really land on a favorite scene or moment or anything like that i I love what tom sizemore is doing like i don't i just love tom sizemore and like i even watched that show he had on vh1 where he was like in rehab and stuff and that was like 15 years ago Uh, it's great to see him here going head to head with hanks and everybody else and sort of like leading the squad and stuff and him and Hanks together are are so much fun. I feel like the first like little tiny moment of levity in this movie is after they kind of break through the first barrier of the beach and they're like yelling at each other that like we've got to do something about this. And Hanks stands up to draw some fire for a second for the sniper to run in position and you know the 
Nazis take a bunch of shots at him, and Tom Sizemore is just like, Captain, if your mother saw you do that, she'd be very upset. And Hank's just like, I thought you were my mother. They feed off each other like that the whole movie. It's a lot of fun, actually. The little dynamic that the two of them have as Sarge and Captain. I'm glad for the little moments of levity in this movie, and some that I don't know if they are moments of levity, but like without them, it would be just so bleak. But the time when they find the first Private Ryan, right? They find Nathan Fillion, and he's like, my brothers, how do my brothers die? They're, in, they're school children. It's like, wait, what? It's a combination of like humor, but also, oh God, like we literally, like some, one of our men, poor Vin Diesel, literally died getting here based on the sort of bad intelligence or whatever. Like it just, it's the overwhelming bleakness of the movie kind of, but it's also funny. Like there's these weird things where it's like, you kind of have to laugh because if you thought about what it actually was, like you would just break down and cry and not be able to move. Like there are things in this movie that the humor work because otherwise, oh boy, like this would be even more depressing than it already is. The one moment I really, that always comes to mind is, uh, always comes to mind, it's only the second time I've seen it all the way through, but like one thing that really stands out is when he goes to get an, inter- when Hanks goes to get an interpreter and he meets Jeremy Davies and this is like, he's like, you know, he's a, he's going to grow up to be Mr. Magoo, this kid. Like he is just a fumbling, bumbling, you know, portrayed as just like never, never seen, never been in the theater of battle, never seen, you know, action or anything. And he's going to, you know, sort of be us in a lot of ways, right? Like our easiest sort of relation, like our easiest sort of end to the crew as the new guy and everything like that but like he is definitely you know I wouldn't say he's played for laughs throughout the entire film but that scene certainly his introduction is like oh we just got we just finished storming the beach at Normandy like thank goodness in a way that we're seeing like a two minute Charlie Chaplin routine like you know like I don't realize it at the time but in retrospect it's like damn Spielberg like you're on point here they use him in a couple of different ways throughout the film too they use him as a um, point of perspective for one of the battles at the at the radar site and I thought that that was kind of interesting like they know that he can't really perform in combat or that he might even be like you know a hindrance in combat so when they go to take out the mg nest they're like you hang back he's watching the the battle from the rear and he's got the the sight from the gun it, it was actually i like that scene a lot that's a, it's a really interesting perspective on these guys running in throwing grenades and shooting at each other but seeing it all from the rear and then the calm of the end, all the bullets stop shooting, and then the screaming for help for Opham to come bring the gear up to them. So according to IMDb, the reason they shot it like that was because there was not enough sunlight or not the right kind of sunlight for Spielberg to get the shots that he actually wanted to. So like, we're going to do it like this, and it just works so beautifully. Like, I think that scene is so memorable because I've never seen something like that. And to think it was that way because nature didn't play along, like, it's just such a cool... I guess it could maybe ruin it for you, but it's also like, it just to me, it's just like, that's that's the magic of the movie. You know, that's the magic of him making this movie. It's just, he took something that wasn't working and then made this indelible sequence of images, like this series that just stand out so beautifully. That's incredible. Yeah, and I think that comes at like the perfect time in the movie too, because right after that battle is like, and like you said, like he's not in battle, but these guys are, like he wants to, you know, like they, they take a prisoner and he wants to like give this guy cigarettes and water and they're like, no, fuck that. This guy's a Nazi. Like we're going to have him dig his own grave and then shoot him dead in it and all this kind of shit and he's like no we should like let him go or turn him in and this and that and all this stuff and it just it, it sort of re-emphasizes like yeah he has not been in battle like I just feel like if he has killed more Nazis he would kill that Nazi like he does at the end of the movie when he pops back up and it turned out to be a thing I was like you let the guy go you convinced the captain to, to go and it was definitely the wrong move so so I just it's it's crazy that it was happenstance but it also like really fucking worked for the movie story too well you know and i don't know if this is necessarily clear maybe just there's so much movie to remember and i just didn't pick up on this but i read this in the trivia is that the guy they let go steamboat willie is the guy who kills hanks at the end so i mean that's just like don't do nice things apparently like there's so many scenes where like they could either maybe shoot somebody or they don't or like people are you know surrendering and just like what do you do like i know that there's like the rules of war and everything like that but like man oh man like how do you 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 can't be kind almost because it's just it's gonna come back and bite you I mean, like, once a Nazi, like, you know, it's just like when they're surrendering at Normandy and the guys are like, what? What's that? what and like clearly they're surrendering but the americans don't give a shit and they don't speak they don't might not know german or whatever but like they're they're not gonna let those guys survive (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's just the madness of war something i caught from that from watching with the closed captions on when the two guys up trying to surrender it says speaking in czech and so i went and i looked on and it's in the trivia on imdb it's like they're like saying no no we're czech we were forced to come here we're not germans we're not nazis please don't shoot us we were forced to come here and then the two guys cap them anyway and joke about them being dead what a touch. That's insane. All the the heroism of closed captioning, man. Yeah. You know, I'm glad 
that all the moments that we're talking about so far are sort of the little moments, because I think my favorite parts of this movie are the little moments too, that I think this movie is probably best known for its opening, right? Like the bloodiest opening to a movie, you know, people getting shocked when they saw this in theaters. I feel like what people think of when they think of this movie, what people remember is just the brutality of it, the graphic qualities of the opening scene. But I think everything that you guys have said, everything that I've chimed in on, everything that we've talked about so far, the little moments is the character moments is the human moments that I think stand out this time around. And there's the one where they're, you know, it's right before the Panzer division. I don't know if this is my favorite one, but this is just a, a scene that I really, really like. And they're listening to Edith Piaf and Jeremy Davies, who's been brought here because he speaks German and French and doesn't, you know, he doesn't really have much war history. And we talked about him earlier, but he's just there and he's translating for them, Edith Piaf. And they're just talking basically about like, you know, the history of music or whatever. And then we cut over to Tom Hanks and Matt Damon together. And Matt Damon says what she's so sad about. And Hanks says her lover left her, but she still sees his face everywhere she goes. He, and Matt Damon just says, that'll do it. It's just like that, like one little line. It's just, yeah, like, fuck, man. Like what? It, like, God damn. Like that is brutal. And, you know, they're around the world. Matt Damon's three brothers have been dead. You know, Tom Hanks has this existential crisis. Like he doesn't know if his, his wife is going to recognize him or accept him. And yet in that moment, they're just like, damn, like that is, and that's messed up. Like that's a, that's a tough song. Like that'll do it. And I love those little moments where it just, it's not what you would think of probably when you think of the movie, but I think it's these the little character building relationships relationship moments that I think we've been talking about all episode that sort of stand out as you know the, the kind of the best parts of the movie I love that part is so great it's like the calm before the storm and they've all sort of decided that they're gonna stay right and 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 help Ryan before bringing him home and all this kind of stuff and and when they're getting ready Ryan's like where do you where do you want me and he's like right next to me at all times or something like that mm-hmm. and and so it's really sweet like you know we talk all the time about how Hanks is America's dad but like in this movie he is he instantly becomes like almost a father figure to Ryan when they get on the same page once he realizes no this kid's right like I have to give he has the right to stay and fight and I should honor that and that's just a beautiful little moment they share is like look how quickly they've bonded and how ready they are to fight for each other's life like it's the it's like all right there in the war and then and when those guys are sitting there on the steps listening to the phonograph it looks like a fucking painting from france you know what Mm -hmm. i'm saying like it's gorgeous it's just like it's so great i love that too i also do like when shit begins to hit the fan and tom hanks goes away to do whatever he comes back and he's and there's you know matt damon there's one of his other guys there and he says matt damon he's like how are you and the the other guy's just like i'm fine too captain like it's just like i'm I'm still here too it's just like these little things where like his mind is so specifically on we need to bring private ryan home and then he just it's sort of tunnel vision but it's just like in a funny way i I, I like that you sparked something in me mike you said uh, the calm before the storm um you were talking a lot a while back about the uh, how amazingly beautiful this movie is the sound design in this movie is also phenomenal and the scene before novelle they're walking they're walking and then that scene they're walking and talking to each other kind of learning who opam is and then they cut to these leaves and raindrops start to fall and then slowly you start to hear gunfire and bullets and then the rain starts going louder and harder and the bullets start just i don't know something about that like gave me chills gave me goosebumps the academy award winning best sound there's that and then there's the other thing that caught my eye that that i i don't know why i just don't remember it but now i'll always remember it is when vin diesel takes the sniper shot and he's pointing up in the air and he gets hit and then you hear the bang and he hits the piano and like i don't know why that never stuck with me I will never forget that that shot and that sound in that movie ever again. I feel like the the sound design is like almost almost like a, a music track into its own too at times too. Like I know like when Normandy is going on, there is no score and it's just the whooshing and whooshing of the gunfire and the explosions almost create like a beat or something or like a some kind of just like weird ass symphony of you know explosions and stuff like that too. But yeah, I. I I love it. I mean, it's, you know, like you said, Academy Award winning, right? But yeah, it's just so good and intricate. So awesome. I also do want to say that in that Vin Diesel scene, he takes his cross. He has a, you know, a Jesus cross off his neck. And I was like, even before he was Dominic Toretto, he was Dominic Toretto there. So you got to love that. Now, on the flip side of the coin, is there anything about this movie? And collectively, we can all tackle this together because I don't know that there's many, if anything, that we could talk about. But what about this does not work? Is there anything here that you think, again, I, I, I don't know what I would cut out, but if a movie's not not three hours long, I would probably be happier. You know what I mean? I think it works for its length, but also shorter movies are 
probably better, more, you know, more watchable. Because, like, you know, we were talking this morning when we were, like, figuring out, like, the time we were going to record. And Duke was like, yeah, it's like a solid 245. I was like, yeah, I know. Like, it's it's a <laughs> lot of movie. It's not a bad thing. It's just something to keep in mind. But what about this? Is there anything that you guys think could be done differently, done better, removed, changed, altered? Anything about this that doesn't work for you? I don't want to say necessarily that anything doesn't work. The movie is very long. And, you know, I'm just trying to go through the scenes in my notes and in my head, and everything kind of flows well together. There's a couple of scenes we haven't talked about even that are fantastic that if we had more time and, you know, I could easily keep talking about for another hour. Not that I want to do a three-hour podcast about one movie with you guys, because I know, what do you guys usually stick to about? You know, an hour, an hour, and mm-hmm. you know, 50 minutes or so. Yep. Yeah. Something's never really sat with me well about how horrified Oppum gets in the final scene. I'm not going to say that it's it's something I'd like to change. I understand what they're trying to do with him. Especially one of the one of the details I, I, I never noticed before is how he's shaking. His boots are shaking as he walks up the stairs towards um, the hand-to-hand fight that's going on between between the two soldiers. But something something about that never sat right with me, but I, I still understand what the whole point was, is that he was just too terrified to enter the room. He's, he's petrified beyond all belief. He's never been in a battle like that before even when they were in Nouvelle or or the uh, fight at the radar station he's not in the thick of it and God knows I mean if you're supposed to just be this pencil pusher this translating guy who just makes maps and helps with you know relaying information how the hell could you possibly comprehend being in the middle of something that horrifying and how would you react yeah, I think the first time I saw this, and maybe it was a little bit of fatigue, uh, you know, from sitting there for so long, it kind of bothered me more back then where I was like, all right, this feel- I get the point. It feels like they're kind of pouring it on a little thick with that character. But now I don't. Now I feel like that he's, he's making another point in the way that, like, Adam Goldberg is so sort of Rambo in this mo- in these moments, uh, like he is not. Like, he, you, you know, he's not, he's not even there to shoot. He's there to reload. He's the ammo box, right? <laughs> like, like that can't make him feel that great either, right? Is that like my I'm not even supposed to shoot anybody necessarily? Like, yeah. So I, I now when I watch that, um, it doesn't nearly bother me as much. But I did have sort of a little, a little gripe with it the first time. You know, I'm gonna point out something I think that we talked about most recently, Mike, on our War of the Worlds episode. Is that, and I, I think it's less prevalent here, but I saw some things on Letterboxd pointing to this, and I think it makes sense. Like, I understand it. Spielberg can sometimes get a little schmaltzy with things. Oh, oh yeah. I don't know that... I think it works for the most part here, but there's something about the way that he uses his John Williams scores, and the way that he, like, things just sort of, like, beautifully come together, that, like, it might just be that we've seen these types of movies, like, we all literally grew up on these kind of movies, and they just feel familiar. I can see why that might not work for people, and I think it doesn't come up here as much as it does in War of the Worlds or in some of the other ones that we've talked about you know recently but I can sort of see that like just the way that he makes movies which again is not like a criticism as much as just something to point out that's something to keep in mind I guess that it feels because we've we've grown up on these because we've been watching his movies for 50 years or whatever the way that he uses emotion almost sometimes can kind of cheapen things like it's almost like a shortcut or a crutch in a way and I, I don't know how to better articulate that but it's on display I think a little bit here it doesn't bother me the way that it has in other movies but I think that it would almost be like if someone else like I'm, I'm almost afraid to say this but apparently Michael Bay was offered this movie at one point and he said he, he he I think smartly rightly was just like I I don't I don't know what I would do with this like this is almost beyond me because like this is so, like, that's not his words like he said I don't know what I would do with this and he would not he would go on to make Pearl Harbor I feel like in, in the hands of another director you could probably get like you would lose some good stuff but maybe sac- like you wouldn't have some of the, the saccharine stuff too it's this weird like for a movie that is as grisly and hard r and like he had said that if it if it got an nc-17 rating he would have released it as is without cutting it and who knows if that actually would happened but like for a movie that is as violent as it is it can also be like oh yeah there's still uh, that's the spielberg thing there you know what i mean like it's 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 weird that it cuts through it all and sometimes kind of cheapens things but also does it's just it's weird it's a weird thing i know exactly what you're talking about like i felt it too it didn't bother me this time because I think in my mind I'm like oh that's sort of part of the style here and not only that I think that's part of Spielberg's overall style is sappiness you know but like he knows how to sprinkle it on and most of his movies are family movies and so maybe it doesn't fit just right 
in a war film per se, especially one this graphic, you know, for an R film, it starts to have sort of these G-rated moments and you're just like, wait, what? Like, what's happening? What are they? Huh? I did read into some of those criticisms as well. They don't bother me because, like I said, like, I just feel like he's going for the propaganda with the music and this and he's tooling with your emotions intentionally because of the style of the war film. But I, I do, I do recognize those moments. It doesn't, it doesn't get to me as much. I think, I think it, it does what the humor does is it, it, it for me this time it, it sort of leveled out some things like it created a good feeling in me you know where it's like oh I got like that Disney feeling in my heart at the moment or whatever I got like that Spielberg glow at the moment and then okay now back to war but I definitely hear you has, has Spielberg at this point ever approached anything remotely like this i mean the only thing that comes to mind is schindler's list and that's mostly content right like you don't see too much of the of the of the horror i mean it's there obviously it takes place in a concentration camp and there's devastating scenes and stuff but i don't feel like it's nearly as consistent uh as far as like you know the graphic sort of nature of this movie i feel like it's way more in your face now that you reminded me about about Shin, I actually for some reason thought that Schindler's List. When you said, "I'm like, did he do this before or after?" I I see so much of this movie in that same way. The brutality, and so so yeah, I guess he has approached a subject matter. As, well, I mean, this is a, a fairly close subject matter. I mean, it's both World War II, but the but yeah, he has done something brutal and historical and honest before. That comes across as way more artistic. I feel like there's that's so tasteful, right? Like the way he, yes. he put that movie together with the black and white and everything and and this is just a gung-ho gi joe kind of thing so he can it's crazy how he can do both i was just comparing the the heavy heavy subject matter yeah absolutely that's all i was really getting at one of the uh most violent movies in like at least maybe in subject matter he's done is jaws and like all the violence in that is implied right like there's people who get attacked but like you don't see it like you see blood but it's like the chum it's like the aftermath right like it's yeah, he kind of created that whole thing, right? Is It's worse if you think of it in your own mind than if you see it on screen. Yeah. So I do want to give some some shout-outs to some uh, actors that we have mentioned and both not mentioned, but obviously Matt Damon, obviously Nathan Fillion here, uh, Giovanni Ribisi, Brian Cranston back in another Tom Hanks movie as a one-armed man learning about the three uh, you know letters going to Mama Ryan. We've got Jeremy Davies who we mentioned, Vin Diesel who we mentioned, um, Leland Orser, who I know best as the dad in, in, uh, in The Guest. He shows up briefly. Also, Paul Giamatti squeaked in there somewhere. Paul Giamatti, yeah, absolutely. Dale Dye, one of the people in, and I looked this up just because of, I know you guys are doing the Tom Cruise movies as well. He was in Mission Impossible 1. I forget what role he was in. I just saw this on IMDb before we came on. And he was also in Starship Troopers as like one of the guys screaming, you know, you remember your training and you will make it back, you know, during one of the big battle sequences in the beginning of the movie. But he, uh, was a former member of the armed forces and apparently took them all through some of the, this cast through their boot camp training. And he's one of the guys in the back home in the States at the war office. Yes. So sneak peek behind the curtain, kind of the reason I still remember the day that this happened, the kind of the reason that we're doing the Tom, Tom club, the Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks podcasts is because on my way back from a day working in New York city, I was listening to Matt Gorley's amazing podcast. I was there too. And captain Dale die was his guest. And he was talking about uh, Platoon and Saving Private Ryan and Band of Brothers and like all the movies he served as an advisor for. And he had these stories about both Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks and Mike and I were trying to figure out what to do next. This was still in the run, I think, while we were doing Charlize. It was like a while back and I remember texting Mike and I was like, hey, can you call me? I have an idea. And I'm like, look, I'm listening to this podcast with Dale Dye and he's these great stories and like what if we just did the both and like you're like yeah oh okay sure so dale die in a way is kind of the inspiration for us because he had stories like specific stories about tom hanks and tom cruise and there's a thing in imdb trivia about how like tom hanks went under you know did stuff with dale die for forrest gump and then when they did it for this movie people thought it was going to be kind of like camping in the woods and everything's going to be fun and tom hanks is like no, like, this is, like, work. Like, this is, like, <laughs> he's serious about this stuff. And so he came in ready to work, and I remember him, and the stories about just, like, the two of them, and I was just like, this is cool. Like, it's sort of, like, Providence. Like, it's, this is meant to be. And so, in a weird way, dude, like, Dale Dye is why we're here tonight, so I'm glad that you brought him up. He was a Vietnam veteran, so he did advisory for the Vietnam sequences of Forrest Gump. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you can 
have, I think it's maybe only on Stitcher Premium now, but if you can listen to that, I mean, all of McElroy's podcast was great, but that Dale Dye episode specifically, because it's just like, it's the kind of person who like, if you don't know him, like you would never know him. You know, like he's the kind of person like you kind of have to work to know in a way. But once you know the movies he's worked on and the people he's worked with and all the stories, yes, it's like, oh my God, like who is this guy? The thing that tipped me off was the Starship Troopers moment. I was just, oh yeah. Is that the guy from Starship <laughs> Troopers? And then I, I looked in IMDb and saw the rest of the information. I was thinking, I wonder if there was ever a version of this movie that was, and I don't think it's the case, but like, you know how Scream, spoilers for Scream, spoilers for the first 10 minutes of Scream, you know how Scream was billed as like the Drew Barrymore movie and then she gets killed in the first scene? Like, I wonder if there was ever a version of this movie where it was like Tom Hanks in this World War II drama and then he gets gunned down in D-Day. Like, I, I could absolutely see that happening, right? Like, just like, it's his men and then all of a sudden he's dead and it's like, oh no. You know, uh, it's funny you bring that up because this time not so much but definitely the first time i watched this movie when the guy in the very beginning the old man kneels over the grave and they cut to normandy the next person you see is hanks so i thought that was old hanks and then hanks gets shot at the end and at the end matt damon morphs into the old man at the grave site and it's tom hanks's grave so they kind of like it's not like they do do that but like the first time i watched this movie i thought tom hanks was gonna survive like i thought that was him at someone's grave you know at, you know he saved ryan i don't know what but like the movie fooled me i don't know if it was trying to but did you guys get that at all the first time you saw this or did you not think that the old man was tired? I don't remember that but this time I was like oh my god like that's very 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 clearly Matt Damon I was like it, I don't know how they did it with makeup or with CGI or if it was whatever but like no I think it's a different actor it's a different actor but it's it's like that's Matt Damon like that you know what I mean like that is I remember seeing this movie well before I should have I remember among many of my other R-rated movies that maybe I've talked to you guys about I remember sneaking into the premise multiplex buying a ticket for something kid related and then sneaking in to see this movie i don't remember my initial reaction but i remember because uh i think the second time i saw it it was in high school and i was taking a film class in high school and i had to get a permission slip signed to watch this movie i remember the start of the movie and knowing that it was matt damon's character but maybe maybe the first time i saw it i thought differently like i honestly can't remember i just wanted to bring that up because it was like a weird thing to me it was like a weird movie it's a making good point. thing because it like i kind of felt like we were supposed to think that anyway that he survived and then at the end i was like wait no okay there are two other Tom Hanks moments that I want to point out, and then we can do a little bit of trivia. And if you guys have any other thoughts, and then we can play a couple games. But number one, I like that he has a fight with a coffee machine and loses. Like he's just like, I just need that fancy coffee, and does not get it. And I think we mentioned it before, but his school teacher speech is so good, and just like it comes at the perfect time. And I know that's the character as opposed to the actor, and like you know it's a script or whatever. But like the way that he delivers it, the length at which he delivers it, apparently it was supposed to be like way longer. And Tom Hanks said to Steven Spielberg, like my character would not go on that long. Like it's not about him and so he cut it way shorter and like everything about that scene i think just works so well i don't know if that's his oscar speech I don't, it maybe is i don't know but it feels like that was just such it came at the perfect time in the perfect way and man like that's just it's like oh yeah he's a very good actor like in case you didn't remember like he's a very good actor not only is he a school teacher he's the coach of the baseball team shout out to a league of their own shout, shout out. out it's so great how he has like the hand trimmer coursing throughout the entire film to sort of you know what i'm saying to like just it's like a tick apparently ptsd i thought it might be like some kind of detox or whatever but it's just a, 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 according to the script i think just pts not just ptsd but it's not you know it's it's not it's just he's seen some shit yeah and the other thing i was thinking watching this is like he's like the way like his ideals and his personality and his spirit and everything he's like captain he's like steve rogers without the super serum soldier serum you know like this is like the ideal sort of man i guess like meant mentally meant to, like to have out there is just like keep going and like be positive and just like all everything he stands for in this movie is just like epic and everyone around him is just in such awe like most of the time they're just like captain yes my captain <laughs> like oh captain my captain but it's never like it never it never gets to the point of like cheesiness or anything like that i'm just i'm just you know sort of like overemphasizing it i like the two moments with him a little more contrasting where he's right after wade dies and he kind of walks away from the situation and you can tell he's uncomfortable and he sits down and he's shaking and he kind of looks around to see if anybody's looking and he ducks down lower so nobody can see him and he just starts crying like oh my god just i just you could just feel every single emotion that was going through his body he's such a powerhouse in this like i honestly 
you were mentioning what if they just like killed him in the first scene like tom H- this is a great movie because of all a lot of different elements but tom hanks is the heart of this movie he really does kind of bring everybody together yeah man he is for lack of a better phrase america's dad like he is the dad he's the father to this to the platoon right like he is you know all i kept thinking the entire time was just you know he's america's dad and now he is america's dad international like he is you know either directly or indirectly he is the father figure to these people both in terms of rank but also just in terms of the way that they look up to him and everything like just he is dad hell yeah any other thoughts, any other scenes you want to mention? Anything else you want to talk about before I hit you with some trivia? So this is, I mean, this is kind of, I'm kind of joking, but like I was watching this movie and I was thinking like, you know, I don't, I haven't really seen or I don't really love a lot of like war movies because like they're not like, well, they're not easy to watch, but also like, I don't know how like accurate they all are. But I was wondering in this movie, like I was thinking if they had run into the crew from Fury, the uh, Brad Pitt, Shia LaBeouf, uh, World War Two tank movie. Like I thought that would have been hilarious because in like ten years you can see just how much more like brutal they're showing war. Like if you think this is crazy, like that movie is just like insanity. Fury is Fury, bro. Oh my god! But it's it's a it's an incredible film as well. Yeah, that's all I kept thinking. I was like, I think this and Fury. I haven't seen the Terrence Malick one that came out around this time as well. Thin Red Line, which also was nominated. So it was nominated for Best Picture the same year. They both lost to Shakespeare in Love, but they were both World War II Best Picture nominees the same year. So same. I think there were three movies that year. Oh, Life is Beautiful also was a Best Picture nominee. So it's another World War II. So like World War II big in 1998. Did you guys see um, Andrew Garfield and Hacksaw Ridge? Yeah. yeah. That is also. I didn't know that that movie was going to be as brutal as it was because it also it's also one of those movies where it takes a while to get to the the actual fighting and that movie is extremely gory and grotesque and and visceral and real i think fury has a beat but that's also a good one if you want a good old gore fest but make you feel something war movie and uh how can we forget since we originated as a cage podcast wind talkers the john woo nick cage christian slater where, spoiler alert, Christian Slater gets his head chopped off. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> like, lots of other just people on fire, just madness of war. But whereas, you know, like, this movie has, I don't know why, this fury always sticks in my head with, with Brad Pitt just mowing down, spoiler alert, hundreds of Nazis screaming, bring me more pigs to slaughter. Like, <laughs> I mean, this movie is very gory and graphic. That's kind of on a whole other level, man. Also, I do want to shout out that if you we've we've done episodes like Mike, you mentioned we did an episode on Wind Talkers for Cage Club. We did an episode on Fury for all his movies. So if you go to cageclub.me or just search in you know Apple Podcasts or wherever, you can probably find our episodes on both of those. In terms of awards, this one Best Director, Best Cinematography, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, and Best Sound Effects Editing at the Academy Awards. It was nominated for but lost Best Picture to Shakespeare in Love. Tom Hanks lost to Roberto Benigni in Life is Beautiful. Uh, it lost Best Writing a Screenplay written directly for the screen, I think, to Shakespeare in Love. Lost Best Set Decoration, Best Makeup, and Best Original Score. It won Best Director at the Golden Globes. Tom Hanks once again lost the Best Actor at the Golden Globes, but this time he lost to Jim Carrey in The Truman Show, which I think is interesting. Uh, lost Best Screenplay and Best Original Score. So again, won in both award shows, you know, maybe especially today as we're recording this the day that Oscar nominations came out and people are sort of like well why didn't X get nominated I feel like this is one where people don't like I've never seen Shakespeare in Love but this is kind of one of those movies that nobody's going to forget you know and like the Oscars don't necessarily mean much at all but it's one of those things where it's like this is this seems like oh yeah this is this is the movie like even though it didn't win Best Picture like this is the one that people are going to remember from that year so some trivia about this movie tom sizemore was battling a drug addiction while filming this movie and steven spielberg said if you fail one drug test we're going to blood test you every day or every two days or whatever if you fail one of them uh you're going to get fired and we're going to reshoot the entire movie or reshoot your entire part even if you're even like we're at the end and so he never did but then he would later in his career apparently relapse but he's still alive right is he still dude alive? yeah he was just in twin peaks to return yeah as dougie jones's nemesis at uh at the insurance firm. But I watched that. V- he had a VH1 show where he was like, oh, man, it was so hard to watch at points. But I loved him as an actor. And I don't know. I watched all those VH1 shows at one point. But he was literally like smoking crack on screen, like in his car. And then like, you know, going to a meeting. And it's just like, oh, brother. I'm so, But I'm glad he's back. 
In 2006, Tom Hanks was inducted into the U.S. Army's Ranger Hall of Fame as an honorary member, thanks largely to his portrayal of Captain John Miller in this movie. Uh, Edward Norton was offered the Matt Damon role, but turned it down to work on American History X, which is, you know, not a bad decision. Um, and then the only other casting that I made note of was that Mel Gibson and Harrison Ford were both considered for the Tom Hanks part before Spielberg decided on casting Hanks. But do you think Mel Gibson or Harrison Ford would have worked here? I think Mel Gibson, maybe. Did he, did he direct Hacksaw Ridge? Yeah. Yes. So I think he could have worked. I don't know if Harrison Ford works here, but maybe. Harrison Ford, it's tough because he could turn it on, you know, but I don't know. I, I don't I don't know. I don't think he would have like the, I think he would get too low energy. You know how he can get very sort of like not doing anything in some stuff and in other movies he's great. He's Indiana Jones and he's running around. Yeah. I don't think he would bring Indiana Jones to this. I think he would bring the sort of more quiet one and I don't know if, I don't know if that'll fit. I just can't see, like, Harrison Ford, like, in the middle of all the airborne units, like, you know, walking up to the woman. Like, oh, hey, merci beaucoup. Have you seen Ryan? Have you seen Ryan? Like, I can't see him doing that. You kind of see him more like maybe, like, some of the more subtle, like, character development moments. But, yeah, I think you're right. It's just something about him being able to, like, turn it on a little bit more that I don't think he could do. Mel Gibson? I mean, he did a gritty war movie not too long after this. He did We Were Soldiers. But he plays kind of like a, you know, like how we did in a lot of those movies, like a God-fearing fatherly kind of military leader. I don't know if I could see Mel Gibson in this role. If you don't see Mel Gibson and you don't see Harrison Ford in this role, do you think Tom Cruise could play this role of Captain John Miller? No. I can see him as maybe... Sizemore role? Maybe Sizemore. Ed Burns. Ed Burns. Ed Burns is probably... Or it's... it's What is it? Ribbon? The BAR gun operator. The one from Brooklyn. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember his character name. I can see, like, it's it, it's it's weird because it's like the point of the movie. I think is to have people who aren't names in these roles. So I don't know if you would put people like a Tom Cruise in any of the smaller parts. I think he could do the Tom Hanks role, but I think that there's like I think he almost kind of lacks the softness that like you rarely see. Like, you do see, but you rarely see. But I think like it has to sort of be there under the surface the entire movie there has to be that empathy underneath the grizzled exterior the ptsd all of that like i don't know that tom cruise could channel that for the entire i mean i think he could because i think i'm still standing by my thing of like he could do just about anything he sets his mind to but like i don't know i don't know i'm not sure well what's interesting is what what i started thinking about while you're talking is that you know in edge of tomorrow he kind of gets to this role in like the last act when dare i say like i feel like stakes need to be even higher than yeah invading France by Nazis they have to be invaded by time traveling aliens or something you know <laughs> so like it's almost not intense enough for him but like he will get there for sure because like in Edge of Tomorrow he does end up being sort of like the leader of that crew at some point and it feels kind of like true this. I see Sizemore and Hanks as like the authority figures in this squad they I don't know why they just seem they seem like older men to me than everyone else in the group and they have almost like a, a maturity about them and I feel like sticking Tom Cruise in there kind of maybe would feel like he's too young I mean I know he's not he was not that young when this movie was made but I just I, I don't know I wouldn't have seen him as the way I see Hanks as the authority figure yeah, he doesn't have as grizzled a vibe right he's not as almost as like rugged or grizzled as like Hanks feels in this one so he's almost you know like too clean or I dare I say too pretty <laughs> at some points I could also see him in a role like the Ted Danson role maybe not in the ted danson role specifically but like one of those people who's on screen for two or three minutes that's just like oh yeah like tom cruise in that movie like where oh oh yeah so now that we figured that out we i think we said the, we've, we've changed the question i think that from does he do thing to be america's dad like he is very clearly america's dad there's nothing here that like would take away from that. like he is very firmly a father figure in this movie totally 100%. When did you change that over? Because I just listened to the uh, to the Toy Story podcast. Very recently. Because we were just like, because it was, we we're basically asking the same question. And like the answer was yes every time. We're like, oh, it, it kind of, it is. It just always is. So uh, it's still, it's basically the same question. It's just like, does he do anything? Like we've officially, firmly established he is America's dad. Now it's like, is you know, he's on watch. Like, uh, don't, don't slip up because uh, <laughs> we could just, we could revoke it from you at any moment. All right. The final thing to do, the Tom Hanks Awards, the Woodies. Best film, yes. Yes. Uh, best Hanks role? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. One of. Mm -hmm. I'm, I, I think of this movie when I think of Hanks. Okay. 
Best ensemble, for sure. Mm-hmm. Best fight, Storming the Beach at Normandy, or the Panzer? I was even going to go smaller and, and say, like, the Bell Tower fight or something like that, like, when uh, when it becomes, like, a hand, hand-to-hand combat or something, but... Is Hanks in the hand-to-hand combat? No, that's right, he's not. Okay, yeah, so that doesn't qualify. You know, no matter how many of these episodes we do, Mike, you never remember the rules of our own categories that we came up with. I would say the Battle of Normandy is definitely... Th- those two battles, the one at the beginning and the, the end, are both so like well put together and so visceral but it's tough can you nominate both of them the bigger issue here is that like it's not necessarily like they almost feel too big like all the other things that we have here like the 3d fight in bachelor party the ambulance fight in the burbs you know buzz and woody versus the misfit toys and toy story like it feels more hand-to-handy like i think mike your bell tower fight scene would work if he was in it i don't know that like it makes sense to nominate you know the battle at normandy for this category i don't know yeah no i mean that, that makes sense to me right it's not best battle sequence it's best fight and like fight we mean you know like in the john wick sense of fights like fisticuffs yeah all right so we will skip that best dancing i do not think he dances best party scene do not think there's really a party but best hank's outfit wardrobe i'm gonna say no like it's cool but it's not best yeah the only detail i picked up on this time about those guys is they had a shovel on their back entrenching tool yeah of course best death yeah absolutely oh man earn this best line earn this right we gotta we gotta do that because it's the last thing he says he says james earn this earn it does he no it's tom sizemore that says he's like you know it's it's the mission or the man but this time the mission is a man i think sizemore takes half the quote i don't know why that that i i wrote down that is the tagline, I think, for the movie too. The the mission is a man. So. Oh well, then you can't use it. I do like the uh, when they when there's the titular line said. I think by Tom Sizemore, right? Like, you know, what if what if saving Private Ryan is the best thing we ever? It's just like, oh hell yeah, I like that. Best freak out? No, I don't think. Well, he freaks out and he starts crying. Yeah, but it's not like um, freak out. I guess in the cage sense i guess is what we're going for sort of like he does start screaming in the group of people trying to find ryan and it actually works but it's kind of a freak out he's just like i'm gonna find this guy he starts but maybe the locals know something it's kind of a freak out all right uh best soundtrack theme score again like it's the john williams where it's like it's great but it's also like it it's a little schmaltzy i don't know like it's Yes or no? Like I, I, I can't, I can't tell anymore. Well, you know, I, I'll, I'm not gonna nominate because what I was hoping for this time was uh, like when it gets into battle, the sound like drops out. It's like where's the war music? You mm-hmm. know, like I was a little disappointed yeah. in that at some point. So it's almost like not that. I mean, I know they're doing it for effect, but in my ears this time it felt like an unfinished score. I was like, he only did like the celebratory part. Like where's like the dramatic tense music score yeah you know like those movies you can just hear them in your head this movie like even right now it's fresh in my mind i can hear the score but it's not just like it's not it's not something i could immediately remember like it's good but it's not it's not john williams at his finest let's put it that way it kind of and you know no disrespect obviously but it reminds me of like a bicentennial commercial where you hear like you know i just hear that fanfare is what it comes down to. I do want to point out that I don't think we've said though, but you said like when the music drops out in war, there's the two like shell shocked sequences where there's like no sound at all or like it's very muffled and like those are you know not score related but just sound wise like they're just so good like they're so like they're unique you know they stand apart because they're like wait what is happening here like it is just it's scary. Best Hanks or worst Hanks love story. There's basically maybe two women in this movie. They're both like oh no my son died. Like that's there's not a lot of women in this movie. Oh, does, does his mom even have a line? No. Yeah I don't know. I don't know. Um, and then the final category best non-Hanks actor male is there one person I feel like the ensemble kind of takes care of it is there one person in here that stands out as like a great like oh that person really kind of stole the show I don't know that there is I mean if anybody be a Sizemore or possibly yeah everyone's just in it so small but I mean Sizemore and Giovanni Ribisi kind of stand out to me as much as I want to say Sizemore I almost feel like he gets a little lost in the mix later on and especially when private ryan comes into the picture which is why i might be more inclined to go mr bad batch giovanni ribisi we are all bad batch because like he has you know he has the terrible terrific death sequence right and like that's that's just really well done and i think throughout the movie like he to me does stand apart as the medic and he's very intense in this film so i I would maybe shift to him if we're gonna do anybody yeah that's fine we're okay with that i'm okay with that as t4 medic wade what a name. All right, so 
We have seven nominees. Best Film, Best Role, Best Ensemble, Best Death, Best Line, Best Freakout, and Best Non-Hanks Actor Male for Giovanni Ribisi. So pretty strong showing for one of the best uh, Tom Hanks movies probably of all time. Now next week, or next episode, Mike, you and I are pulling an abrupt 180, hitting the e-brake, you know, Tokyo drifting across backwards into a different genre to tackle You've Got Mail, the third and final Hanks Meg Ryan team-up. So I've never seen that movie and I'm very excited. Yes, I also have never seen that movie and now thanks to Sleepless in Seattle and my newfound appreciation of the romantic comedy, especially ones that team up Hanks and Ryan, I'm very much looking forward to this. Between now and then, you and I have a Cruise Club movie that I have never seen before, one of the very few Tom Cruise movies that I have not seen, Lions for Lambs. So go check out Tom Cruise, the Cruise Club podcast, next Friday. And then in two weeks, we've got You've Got Mail right here. But Duke, thank you so much for joining us once again to talk about a wonderful turn-of-the-century, turn-of-the-millennium action movie. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Guys, thank you. I really, really appreciate you bringing me on for a, a movie this big, and it's always a pleasure to hang out with you two. And you will be on once again, a couple times more, but once again for a... Uh, a trip on the Polar Express, a movie that I have never seen and barely know anything about. A ride into the uncanny valley. I cannot wait. <laughs> Looking forward to it. But for all things Hanks for the Memories, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, hanks at cageclub.me. Come back next week on our Cruise Club feed for Alliance for Lambs. Come back in two weeks right here on Hanks for the Memories for... You've Got Mail. Check out all 28 episodes now of both Cruise Club and Hanks for the Memories on cageclub.me and all 26 shows, including our newest one, Viva Pod Vegas, the Elvis Presley film podcast. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Dan the Duke Hayden. And we'll see you in two weeks for You've Got Mail right here on Hanks for the Memories. Texas, sticky bomb.